For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The following presentation is brought to you by Sports Ethos. What's up, Riz Nation? Welcome to the show here at Sports Ethos. I am Candace, and we are joined here today by Grizzly Bear Blues' very own Bryson Wright. Bryson, how you doing? I'm doing great, Candace. Thank you for having me on. I, I love the show, and uh, I wish we could talk to, you know, David and Isaac, too, because I always see them on Twitter, too. But I yeah. uh, always love listening to you and talking to you uh, about the Grizzlies. Absolutely. We appreciate you coming on, and it's an absolutely great day to to talk Grizz. Um, we are coming off of the back of an absolute Jaron Jackson Jr. masterclass, and so it was Black, Black Panther night last last night at the FedEx Forum. I feel like it's only right to start off talking about that game. So let's do that. What, what are some of your What are some of your thoughts on Jaron's return? Well, the number one thing I'll say is I think the things that Jaron gets the most criticism for is his fouling uh, on, on defense, right? And I think the number one thing I'll look at is through two games, I think he only has four fouls so far. So I think that's the number one thing I'll look at is he's staying on the court. I know he's still on a minutes restriction and they're going to have to ramp that up a little bit, but it's still good to see him not picking up like those two early fouls in the first quarter. We haven't seen him do that yet. It's only been two games. Want to see that to continue, but that's the number one thing. He's still on the court. They always talk about his rebounding. He got 12 rebounds, right? And I think those, those, those are like the two things that come into the season where it's like, if he can defend without fouling and rebound a little bit better and then on offense, I like that he went in the paint much more. And I think it it wasn't necessarily because he was open in the paint more than he was in that Pelicans game. I think they just made it more of a focus of the offense, especially because the Thunder, even though Pokushevsky ended up having a pretty good game before he got hurt, they don't really have a lot of size on the interior, even though they got long, tall, lanky guys. Uh, Jaron and Steve-O had... I don't know how many pounds on them, but it's quite a few. I just know, I know that for sure. So I I like that they decided to go into Jaron a lot to start the game. And I think that kind of got him in a rhythm. And then when he did end up shooting some threes and stuff, he was already in an offensive rhythm. And I think he had his confidence. And I think that's the big thing for him is just to kind of start inside out. And I think that's what we saw in that game. And it's a, and he looks healthy. He looks very healthy. He looked very healthy. And he dunked Kenrich Williams into uh, dude. <laughs> he, it was like he he, he, he as soon as he got it, yeah. It was like as soon as he got it, he he drove that with. He he knew he was gonna dunk the ball as soon as he got it. It looked like so. Sure. I, I love seeing everything about Jaren's game. I think that's that's one of the that's the best game you can ask for in the second game back. It was absolutely dominant. It was probably one of the most dominant performances in in re- basically since the bubble, I would recall, like in terms of just how dominant he was on the court. Um, for those of you who may not be aware, uh, Jaron put up a stat line of 25 points, 12 rebounds for seven for 16 shooting, but three of six from three. Um, he had three blocks and two steals. He absolutely stuffed the, the, uh, 
the stat sheet this in terms of he gave you everything you could possibly want from him like that was just to perfection he did it all in less than 25 minutes like he's still on a minute restriction and he put up those kind of numbers which was a particularly impressive to me um you brought up a great point Bryson about his usage in the paint and I think it was twofold in one hand I agree it seems like they were more intentional about um, getting him involved and getting him engaged on the inside early. Um, I think you posted on Twitter about a like the, was it the first play? That yeah, the ve- yeah the very first play when they went to the John Jaron pick and roll, which is something I think they they're gonna have to get to a lot more, uh, especially with Bain out and then with Ja going down. We'll see what happens, but they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do the same thing with Tyus and Jaron too if Ja does end up missing some time. But I think that's the that's the easiest way to get him involved because in the pick and roll he's a nightmare to try to figure out what he's gonna do. Exactly, exactly. And one thing that I paid attention to was he looked more confident in his post moves. Like, uh, it, it seemed like I, I'm, I'm not sure his footwork was exactly where I would want it to be, but what he looks like, and on a couple of those dunks, what he looked like he did instead, instead of like where he would be unsure and maybe he would travel or try to force a pass or a turnover and it would be a ultimately a negative play, he used his explosion to just leap, like to get to between the distance from him and the basket. He just decided, I'm explosive enough. I'm just going to, instead of trying to force the ball or take one dribble or spin to get closer inside of the paint, just jump. And that's where you get these explosive dunks and these power dunks uh, because I think he's really starting to, he mentioned in his post-game presser how he's really learning how to take advantage of his body. And you can just mm-hmm. see that. like He looks more comfortable with how he can use his body to his advantage, whereas before, I just think he was still trying to feel his way through it. It still seemed like he wasn't really sure what he could and could not do physically. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's partly because of experience. It's partly, like he said, I think he said in the post game, it's also working with Steven Adams. Because if you're talking about a guy who knows how to use his body on the court, it's Steven Adams. Because, yes. uh, like, he, he's the prototypical guy you would want to look at to do kind of stuff like that. And he talked about him uh, in his rebounding and stuff too. So I think that's part of it. And then I feel like there's a lot of times with big guys, it's almost like they – like when Jaron was a rookie, like he, he was tall and he was lanky, but he still, I don't think he had grown into his body yet, really. Mm-hmm. And now that he's kind of been in the weight room, you can tell he looks more filled out. He looks more kind of balanced when he's going to the basket, where sometimes it seemed like he was a little shaky on some of those drives. And I think they mentioned that on the broadcast is like on some of those drives, he's taken like one more dribble to yes. where he's start, like he's all, he's got two feet in the paint when he's jumping instead of trying to do like some Euro steps and stuff like that. And some of the more like big guard stuff, which right. is great, but sometimes you just got to be big. And I think right. that's what he realized. You don't always have to be a big guard. Sometimes you can just be big and it's good enough. Exactly. So I think, I think that's what the thing that was the most promising for me on the offensive end was just, yeah, just the intensity that he had on those drives to the basket, too. That's a great word for it, intensity. And I think that carried over to even his offensive rebounding prowess, which is something that he had not really had before. Um, But he managed to get five offensive rebounds. And and you could see him being intentional about looking for them. That was something that Jaron wasn't even really looking for in the past seasons. Like he was barely even looking for like defensive rebounds, let alone offensive mm-hmm. rebounds. And so he got some really good putback opportunities and his, his offense can somewhat be generated from that um, as a result, which will be needed. I think it, given the injuries that this team has endured, Jaron's going to have to find different and unique ways to score. And uh, that seeing that from him, I think was very promising for that. 
Oh yeah, no, and his, his rebounding has definitely been one of the places where I think throughout his career, a lot of people have talked about he needs to be a better rebounder. He needs to be a better rebounder, and I think he's kind of like he talked about it in the post game, like you said, learning how to use his body, uh, learning how to like anticipate where the ball is going to be at. And I mean, yeah, five offensive rebounds. I know he had his, his career high in rebounds too. I'm pretty sure it was 12 yeah. Uh, yeah. last night as well. So just, I mean, we have, we literally haven't seen him rebound like that before if it was his career high. So that was, yeah, it was awesome just to see him back healthy. And even though one of the biggest worries for me was since he was injured, could he really work on his game the same way in the off season instead of rehabbing? And I think it's clear that he, he was able to at least, even if he couldn't do it on the court, he definitely was watching film and he was talking to his teammates about and talking to the coaching staff about what he can do better. And I think he's still applying that. And I think once, if he can stay healthy and get like another fully healthy off season coming in like the next year and stuff like that, I think you'll see even more improvement going forward. Right. Yeah. We're beginning to see the potential of that in, um, just one last thing on Jaron, because he, he did have such a match class. We owe him these few minutes. But um, his shot looked much better. I think his, his shooting motion was much improved. He still – a couple of times I saw him refer to, like, the push-off motion. I think somehow mm-hmm. it's went in anyway. But you could just see him, particularly at warm-ups, where you can you can see the intentionality behind um, not just his three-point shot, but he also seems to be intentional about working on his form from three, po- three uh, free-throw shooting. Um, like I saw him miss one and then like kind of rehearse like the motion beforehand. But that used it used to kind of just be when Dar- Jaron missed free throws, he'd just sort of get mad and, you know, not actually have any strategy behind how to get the next one. But if that's if he's added that to his game, the, the mental side of that helps a lot. But also uh, I think you'll see a little bit more of an efficient Jaron if he can keep that up. Now his his motion isn't consistent at all like a couple of times he did refer back to the push off but it's good to see him aware of it and then working on it and then seeing some improvement from even if it's not consistent the work he has put in yeah definitely I mean whenever you have a guy that uh I think his second year he was shooting 38 percent from three and his form isn't good it's like if you can get your form down there's no telling how well he can shoot and I like that you mentioned the free throws because I wanted to talk about too and I think that also goes back to like the intensity he played with is that he got 11 free throws. Uh, he was eight at 11 from the line. And I mean, up until this year, uh, besides Bain, I think he's been the best free throw shooter on the team. So if, if you get more opportunities for him at the free throw line and he's hitting them at as high of a rate as he has in his career and maybe even a higher rate going forward, uh, because I know he's been like a 80 plus percent shooter uh, most most of the time, yeah. uh, which is basically just second to Bane. So I think that's going to be another thing that will help him. And then, yeah, I think his jumper did look a lot better. He just he looked he looks more comfortable just in general. I don't know if it's just because that first game, there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of pressure in that first game to come back and try to look good. And then you see the first couple don't go in. And I think that's kind of why you saw the offense kind of falter a little bit. Uh, but I think in this game, he just came out, he was locked in, he knew what he needed to do, got to the free throw line, got some easy buckets, and then I think it was easier for him uh, for his jumper kind of later in the game too, uh, and just throughout the game. So this was just a great game from Jaron overall, and I think that it's it's the best you can ask for uh, in terms of what he can do. Like, I mean, if, you, if you're going to get this Jaron on a nightly basis, this Grizzlies team will be very scary. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And so, um, speaking of the future, it it 
it is relevant now to talk about the uh, the unfortunate news of Ja going down about the last three minutes of the fourth quarter. Uh, John Morant tweaked his ankle, but were the exact words of, of Coach Jenkins. We do not, at the time of this recording, have an update on his status. I'll try to look out for that to see if anything comes in. Um, I know they were going to do some more imaging and things like that to see what the re- what his real status will be. But what are your thoughts on, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and his return is all the more important. Um, do you think he's able to sustain this, this level of play? Do you think there's some drop off? Because I know, at least for me, my thought is OKC is very small and Jaron was mm-hmm. able to punish them for it. And I wonder if he'll be able to be as dominant as he was, you know, against taller teams. It's still a question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be as easy for him to score inside against every team. I think this was just like a really good matchup for him. But I think they're going to have to be, I mean, especially without, if, if Ja does end up missing some time, Bain is already going to be out at least two to three weeks. Uh, they're going to have to force feed him, feed him on the inside, regardless of who they're playing against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I don't know if you can necessarily expect him to score 25 a night, but I think we did see last year whenever Ja went out. I mean, they still had Dez too at that time, but Jaron did elevate his level of play to like another level. Cause I think he kind of saw it as if Ja's not there, I still have to be like, he, he's basically, he's the second, he's the guy who's been on the team the second longest amount of time. So really the only one who's been there, uh, since the end of the grit and grind guys, but it was just him yeah. and Dylan. So I think he kind of sees himself as like the secondary leader with Ja. And I think that's something he's going to have to uh, really kind of buy into now with Ja and Bain both kind of being out uh, just to be like the on-court leader. But, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to say I expect him to average 25 a game, but he's a mismatch against most bigs in the NBA. Uh, There's a few, like, obviously, if you're talking about they're playing against Giannis and guys like that, it's hard for anybody to be a mismatch for them. But I feel like a lot of the bigs in the league that are going to be guarding him they're either going to be, uh, if it's a small ball four, like some of those guys are just not going to be able to compete with him physically. And if they put like a five on him, he sh- should be able to beat him, beat them uh, with his quickness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we're going to see is if he's got a bigger guy on him, you might see him get the ball more at the three point line and then try to drive kind of like he did against Kenrich Williams on that dunk last night. And then if they got smaller guys on him, they're going to force feed him in the post. Yes. So I now, I, like I said, I don't know if he's going to average 25 a game and that might be too much to ask, but I do think he's going to have to be, he's going to have to be the best version of himself for the Grizzlies to kind of survive this stretch. If Ja does end up missing sometime. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% agree. Um, so let, let's talk about that hypothetical scenario. Let's say, um, let's say they, I would expect they would rest Ja even if everything is okay, maybe at least one game. I'd be surprised if he like came back and played it Sunday in the Brooklyn game. Ah, uh, yes, but, for sure. Right. So rotation wise, what should that look like? Uh, one thing that I mentioned in particular is that I think the second unit needs to take more advantage of Santi's playmaking abilities because he has been able to be sort of like a point forward and play that kind of role. Because there's such a limited number of guards on this team, especially healthy at this point, it's pretty much just uh, Jaius Jones and Kennedy Chandler, then I I think they're going to need some kind of secondary playmaking from, from others. And that might be a good way to go about it. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, Santi Aldama, I think that's definitely one way you could look at it. I know when he was in the G League, he did a lot more of that with the hustle. And even in uh, college, he, I mean, he's, he's shown a little bit of it, but they haven't put the ball in his hands as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, I think part of that is because he was playing with the starting five and he's playing with John Bain and all that. And I think now that he's moved to the bench role, I, I'd like to see them do that even when they come back to being fully healthy. Like, I'd like to see them put the ball in his hands a little bit more and see what all he can do. And then maybe it happens and it's like, okay, it worked in the G League. It weren't, it's not going to work in the NBA. And if that's the case, I'd rather know now than to have to keep like asking for it later in the season. Right. So I think if there's, if there's a time to look at it, I mean, it would be now. And then, yeah, uh, and you mentioned Kennedy Chandler. It's, it's big for Kennedy. Like this, these are going to be big minutes that he's going to be playing. And 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 when they drafted him, this is kind of the reason I feel like they drafted him mm-hmm. because last year, even with DeAnthony uh, being gone now, but even last year, DeAnthony isn't a true point guard. Yeah. So I think there was times last year that when Ja went out, it was just Tyus and then point guard by committee. So the right. good thing is you do still have another true point guard, albeit he is a rookie and he hasn't played a lot of games, but. It's it's a big test for him, uh, even if it is only for a couple games. So, uh, but I'm I'm excited about. I mean, I think he's he's been really good on defense. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be the number one thing. Is the deep? There's been defensive struggles for this team all year, and I mean, he's one of those guys. Even though he's undersized, he doesn't have trouble keeping the ball in front of him. So I think that's going to be something that's going to help a lot uh, with that bench unit and also his ability to create turnovers like being into passing lanes and getting steals as an on-ball defender, uh, which watching him last year at Tennessee, I saw almost every one of his games in college, and he just did that consistently every night, was one of the steal leaders in the SEC and everything like that. So I think those are the two guys that are going to have to really step up. Uh, So, yeah, I would say, yeah, Santi and Ja, and then, I mean, you're going to need even more from Conchar. I know Conchar had a good game last night as well against the Thunder, but you're going to need more more from guys like Conchar. You're going to need more. You're just going to need more from everybody. And yeah. I think that's kind of what you saw last year. And definitely the depth isn't the same as it was last year. I think everybody kind of knew that coming into the season. So it's going to be a little bit harder for them to sustain these injuries. But, yeah, you're going to be relying on some of these young guys to step up and try to make plays early in the year. I think what's going to be important is their ability, particularly with the with John, with Gaunt, why am I messing that up? With John Conchar and Salty Aldama, I've noticed they tend to play much better at home. And I guess that's normally the case with your younger players, but you really need more from them on the road because there have been some games on the road where they have been virtually non-existent or I'm not going to say unplayable in the case of Aldama, but where he basically got sat. Like he only played like 18 minutes. I, maybe I want to say against the Washington Wizards or one of those opponents just because he wasn't I mean, he got he's getting killed defensively. And so you really need that consistency that they can that they've been providing maybe more at the FedEx Forum on the road. Like that's going to be a key, I think, to their being able to sustain and, and still get wins. And I also think that I do think they need to play into Kennedy Chandler's ability to make uh to to create points in transition because while the identity of this team this year has been more half court offense, and that's what you want ultimately, while they're as injured as they are right now. Those transition points will be so important because they're not going to be a ton of shooters. Like nobody can really create their own shot. Like Dylan can create his own shot and Jaron can create his own shot, but they're not as efficient when they have to do that. 
maybe Jaron more so than Dylan, but especially Dylan, yeah. like he's not as efficient when he has to do that. And, and even I would argue Tyus this year has really been more effective at the catch and shoot than he has just creating his own floater. Like the floater hasn't even been falling at the rate that it you know, like usually does. And he's just sort of had sure. some rough offensive games on top of his rough defensive games. So Tyus is also going to be a real key. Um, they, they, they need more from him, I think. And then one other person who I think it'll be really important for him to step up is Brandon Clark. Like Brandon Clark last night only had two points in 22 minutes. It was a rough game for him. Um, he did get five rebounds, which for him is pretty good. Um, but I think it's offensively like they're going to have to figure out ways to take advantage. And I'm pretty optimistic about that part, at least because Jaron and BC generally have a really good two man game going. So they need to Definitely. play into that for sure. And um, I think they just have to play into the advantages that they have. Like for Ken- when Kennedy Chandler did play in his few minutes, um, Am I right in saying that that was a Washington game? That yes. He played those okay. Yeah, so because that played, was another game where Jaw didn't play that game either. Yes, that's so. right. That's right. Okay, so when he played in those minutes, he only played, like I want to say, like five to seven minutes. Like, it wasn't any more than seven for sure. And I was a little surprised about that because he really was a boost for it. When he came in, like, they were able to sort of make a run. He was real, he was real pivotal to switching the energy. I think they should play more in play him more into that. Like take advantage of that. Those transition points will be critical. Um, and not just sit him because I know he's a rookie and he's still got a lot of learning to do. But so does David Riding and so does Jake Laravia. You have to just play to their strengths and try to take them out of their weaknesses. And and speaking of that, for me personally, one thing I think they should play around with is David Roddy at the five, like small ball five, because he did that most of college and he's really comfortable in that Mm -hmm. role I think he could play that role well they're kind of trying to play him more as a wing right now and I'm I'm not going to say that he can't but I think defensively he'd be much better as a small ball five too so he's not as much of a net negative so I I just think coaching in general like if they if Taylor Jenkins coaches this up well enough where he takes advantage of his and like caters the game plans to his team's strengths and like his current personnel and not just in, I know generally you want, he wants them like to let it fly. Like that's his thing, but I'm just yeah. not sure that's going to be the strategy that's going to get you wins right now. Like hopefully we can see his ability to adjust and, and make changes. He's not really a guy who makes to make a lot of changes on the fly, but I think desperate times cost for desert, desperate, desperate measures. And if you only have like Tyus Jones in a rookie as your guard def, like you had a, you got to make some adjustments. And so I'll be curious to see if he's able to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think you saw a little bit of that, like a little bit of that last night when they decided to go in more inside and kind of play through Jaron and kind of stuff because he has mismatches. And I think we, I think we'll probably see that on Sunday too against the Nets. Uh, just because they do, they don't have like a lot of huge guys in the front court. I know they have Claxton down there, but like I said, he's kind of the same as the Thunder guys, where he's yeah. tall, he's lanky, but he he doesn't really have that same size. So I think we we will st- still see some of that. But yeah, I agree. I think Kennedy is going to have to play way more. I think yeah, like you said, he didn't play a lot of minutes in Washington. He's going to have to play way more minutes than that in uh over this next stretch regardless of how many games Jaws out whether it's one game whether it's three games whether it's five games whatever it is. You're going to need a lot more out of him like you said just because the guard depth 
I mean, it's just it, like I said, it's just going to be Tyus and Kennedy. And I think it's similar to what happened last year. But like I said, I'm glad that they do have another true point guard. Yeah. And even though he can't necessarily create his own shot, he can create opportunities driving to the basket, which something which is something that I think they're going to need a lot from uh, because they're going to need some paint scoring from their guards as well. And because I, I mean they're all, they've always been a paint first team, so that's going to be something that's good. They always talk about Kennedy has a really long wingspan, so that'll help him uh, kind of drive into the basket too. And then on Roddy at the five, like I I, I get it. Like I, I think it could work. I mean, obviously it depends on the matchups, and it's going to have to be like if it's another team that's playing a small ball five. Uh, but I think playing him at the four and the five, but like both of those positions a little bit more than the three, just because it puts him in matchups that he's not ready for right. yet. Not to say that he won't be ready for it in March. Maybe by March he'll be ready, or maybe by this time next year he'll be ready. Yeah. But at this exact moment, he's not necessarily ready to guard uh, threes in the NBA. And especially when you're getting switched on to other guys. I think he actually did a pretty good job against Shea the couple times he got switched on to him. He did. Uh, against the Thunder. But we've kind of seen that. I mean, but and it's not his fault. I mean, the guys I'm talking about is like Luka Doncic, Brandon Ingram, like guys like that. It's not like these are bad players. They do it to most guys in the NBA. Right. Uh, but it's just like he's he's not necessarily ready for that matchup the way that a guy like Dylan is. Right. right? Because Dylan, he, he takes every tough matchup. Uh, I think he might take the toughest matchups in the NBA because I don't know if there's many guys that – whether whether the best player on the team is a guard or a forward, Dylan Brooks is going to guard them. And I th- I don't know if there's a lot of guys in the NBA that can do that. Uh, but, yeah, so Roddy's not quite – like, he's not there yet. But I do think he has the ability to get there. He just needs more time. Right. I will, I will 100% agree. So, um, let's see. Are there any other thoughts or comments you have just in general on where the Grizzlies are right now? Um. I do hope they get some Zaire news soon. Maybe we can get an update yes. on where he is because he'd be needed, especially uh, when we're talking about the transition ball. Like sometimes I like even last game last night, like there were times when like Ja would fly down the court and I just wish that there was somebody else who'd run the court with him. And I and I can literally just picture like Zaire normally being that mm-hmm. guy who's like running the floor with him to be a live option so that Ja doesn't have to like try to force himself into like, you know, double covered or triple covered or like try to navigate the the guys who are who are already down there um and he could be a huge help i think in that regard to them almost transitioning back sort of to their style of play last year where it was more based off transition and uh steals and, and deflections and things like that yeah definitely well if i just had to say one thought just to anybody y'all know me i'm always the optimist right the right. grizzlies are 10 and 6 They've probably had the worst injury luck in the NBA to this point in the year. Like, I mean, it's it's difficult to necessarily say because there's been a lot of injuries around the league, but there's not many teams that have missed their first option for most, multiple games, their second option for multiple games, and their third option on offense for the first 13 games of the season. I don't know if there's another team that's had that specific set of circumstances. Yeah. Steven Adams has missed time. Zaire Williams hasn't played. So there's like a lot of stuff that has gone wrong, especially with new pieces 
losing Kyle and DeAnthony, uh, like that's that was always going to be a big thing coming into the season. Just the fact that they've started even this well, especially in the Western Conference, because it seems like everybody in the West is kind of like they're kind of just mid right now. Like there's not like one team that is just taking over. I, and it's like the Grizzlies, I think, are half a game out of first right now. But the Clippers are, are ninth and they're like two games out of first. So it's right. like everything is so close. I know it's so early in the season, but I still think based on the start they've had, you've got to be excited for if they can just get at least to like 95% healthy. Like it, you're never really going to get you 100% healthy in the NBA. I think that's pretty obvious, but just get to where you can at least have your starting five on a nightly basis. I think once yeah. they get to that point, you can fi- you'll finally be able to evaluate uh, the team fully, and I think you'll finally be able to kind of see what the front office, what the view, what the view of the front office is for this group, kind of for this season and going forward. And I'm 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 very excited to see it, whether that's in two weeks, whether that's in a month, whenever it is. Uh, it's, it's just going to be very exciting to see them all together finally. Yeah, I would argue that the Western Conference isn't as much as it is mid. Is it just, I think it's so elite that, like, they're almost, like, beating up on each other. Like, everybody yeah, yeah, is true. pretty much, yeah. like, beating up on each other. Like, because they're good teams, but, like, they're the other team is good at exposing another team, like, the other team's weakness. And so it's just kind of like a – it's almost been based on matchup, I think, in terms of how strong or how weak a particular team looks. Like, even if you look at the Grizzlies, like, it really has depended on – they look like two different teams depending upon, like, what the matchup is. And I think it's That's been true. like that for a lot of other teams, which is going to make for a very interesting year for sure. It, it means that the Grizzlies are going to have to try to stay competitive, though, because, like you said, the Clippers are, like – in ninth place and they're only like two games back like there is everybody is pretty much right in the same like stride and so it's going to be important for them to maximize um their roster but but also another thing that I hope that we can see is like you said them at least getting the starting five because looking forward I think it's going to be important for them to, for them to get chemistry because they've only played mm-hmm. like what 11 games I think like it hasn't been much like they didn't play much last season before the playoffs. No, it was like eleven like, games. I think that one, like one of the last games of the season, like uh, before the Celtics game, was like, I th- I think that was the last time that they were fully healthy in the regular season, and because Ja had missed time, Dylan had missed time. The only person that had missed time last year was Jaron. I think everybody right. else in the starting lineup missed time. Yes. So it it, it would be interesting to kind of see uh what that looks like but yeah they're definitely gonna have to have some chemistry and kind of find their roles and I think that is one thing that's another issue is that it's hard it's hard for guys to, guys to kind of find what their role is on a team yes. when the lineup is c- consistently changing because of injuries so right. it's like you have guys like Conchar who one night you're relying on him to like you're gonna have to take 11 12 shots tonight and then the other night it's like well now you're coming off the bench and you might only get three attempts so it's kind of it's just going to be interesting to see how they kind of navigate that but I think they've proven that with even with the guys they have obviously the reason they were so good on the depth last season was partly because of Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton like I said who aren't going to be there Uh, but I think even the guys that they do have like Brandon Clark and John Conchar have proven in the past that when called upon, they can step up. It might not be consistent, which is the only problem, but we we've seen them step up at times and uh, we're just going to need them to step up 
uh, more consistently. consistently. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what you're going to have to get from them. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, I, I really do hope that like you can just get past this and that everybody can get healthy and play together because it's not only important for them getting their chemistry um, and like you said, the pecking order and things, but Taylor Jenkins I'm trying to find his rotations. Like I kind of feel bad for Taylor Jenkins at this point. Like mm-hmm. every time I was, act- I was actually watching the beginning of the, um, of the game last night. And I'm like, man, it's just refreshing to see, you know, John and Jaron kind of together. And hopefully they can, I, I like, I liked some of the bench unit rotations a little bit more. I thought it had a little bit more life to it. Seeing Jaron with some of the second units home. And I was like, they'll be really interesting to see how he, you know, plays around with some of these lineups and and, and gets mm-hmm. more versatile with it. But then like Ja goes down and then that scratch all of that. Like you just got to, man, at some point you just got to kind of, well, we feel bad as fans anyway, but I kind of feel for Taylor Jenkins and his constant, yeah, like having to recreate like lineups and rotations. And it's really just, I mean, people get upset with them for lineups and, and some of his funky weird lineups and understandably so. But I mean, this year, you can't really blame the guy like <laughs> or yeah. last year either. Like some of them have been like by necessity. And sometimes it's just because, you know, he just doesn't have enough information. I think on any one set of guys at this point be to, to know like what works and what shouldn't. Yeah, definitely. The one criticism that I think that is valid on the lineups is that at times he does keep like the starters out for too long, get like the beginning yeah. of the fourth quarter. Like, yeah. I think that's the, that's the most valid criticism. But when you look at the rotations as a whole, like you said, it's, it's been really hard for him because I mean, even if you look at it, like no Jaron to start the season and then Jaron comes back and Bane goes down right. and then in Jaron's second game, now Ja goes down and you thought Zaire, cause I, everybody, the, the conversation uh, on Grizzlies Twitter a lot has been, they need a bench score. They need somebody off the bench. And it's like, well, yeah. that's supposed to be Zaire. Yeah. But Zaire hasn't played either. So it's it's just really hard for them to kind of for him to kind of find what he wants to do in his rotations. And there's a lot of guys that are playing together now that are not going to be playing together as much as the season goes on. Yeah. And I think that's going to be another thing. Yeah. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Uh, and I think that's going to be another thing they're going to have to navigate is not just playing together as a whole but playing with different lineups like Santi's gonna have to get used to playing with the bench lineup more and Jaren's gonna have to get used to playing with that bench lineup as well because uh even though they they used that used that was Dez to start the season where he played with the bench more but now it's looking like they're gonna need him to do that more too and he's still on a minutes restriction right so like there's just a lot of stuff to navigate for Taylor Jenkins so I would just say give him some time Hopefully they can get healthy and the rotations will figure themselves out as they kind of continue to go on with everything that's been going on. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say just give them some time, give the team some time to figure out everything. Uh, but I think if they can just get, if they can just get their guys back, this team is going to be really good this year. Yeah, they're going to be devastatingly good. I mean, their net rating was crazy. What's interesting is they don't have like I think they have a losing record technically when they when they're starting five is together. But I just think that's chemistry. Like they because it's such a small sample size that net rating I think is such a positive indicator for just how devastating they can be. And even when you just look at it, like you've got your two defensive stoppers in Dylan Brooks and and Jaron Jackson Jr. And then you got the I still say the best backcourt in the NBA. Um, and John Morant and, and Des, Desmond Bain when those two are together. So it's just such an elite core four and, and Stephen Adams pretty much is complimenting them and everything that they do in their skill set so well. 
and along with all the versatility that you have in your role players, I, I just think the sky's the limit. Like I, I have concerns about if they can maximize this and like their the first half of their schedule is supposed to, is like pretty like manageable. The second half is pretty tough. So like my hope is that they can get enough bank enough of these wins to be able to like get good seating because they their ceiling is so high this year. Like honestly, like that that core four is so elite. Like we love the core four of the Mike Conley and Marcus All, Tony Zevo, but like this core four is so elite that it really is if, if they hit things in the right stride and get there and, and like get hot at the right time, like they could be at the finals. I, I have like no doubt about that because that's just how elite there is. And it, and, it, and it's what will lead to a lot of intrigue and excitement. And hopefully we can get a lot of um really important questions answered this, this season as we go along. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, you know, me, I, I definitely agree that I think they could, they can be the best team in the NBA if they're yep. fully healthy. Like, and I, I don't think it's even that far of a stretch to say that. I mean, you consider even looking at last year, they dealt with injuries and stuff like that in, in a series against a team that went on to win the championship, uh, took took it to six games. Were probably, I, I always say, they were probably about five or six plays away from winning that yeah. series in six. Yeah, like, for sure. And obviously, like, the Warriors made those plays. I'm not I'm not a guy that goes back and it's like they should have won the series. Yeah. Like, the Warriors got three offensive rebounds on one possession in game one, and that's why they yeah. won the game. Right. And, and it comes down to stuff like that. And I think that after having that experience of kind of seeing what what championship basketball is actually like, like what playoff basketball is really like, they got a little bit of a taste in it in Utah, but I don't think they they – I think even just going into that Warrior series and even playing against the Timberwolves before, the Timberwolves didn't know what that was like either. That was their first right. time too. But right. it's like you're playing like this is a team that has won multiple championships, and I think that's that was a good learning experience for them. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen them come out uh, with a lot of intensity, especially with John Bay, and I think that's one of the reasons they came back like that is, I mean, I think that left a bad taste in their mouth. And I think you can say the same thing for Jaron. And yeah. I mean, you got guys calling out Jaron in post-game press conferences and everything like that. And I think he had, he had it up on the wall <laughs> in those videos when he was working out. And I think that's, that must've been when he, what he was thinking about when he was dunking on people and uh, <laughs> blocking everybody. I just think that's what's going through his mind. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited just to see the whole team together. And I, I, they they have so much potential. The sky's the limit for them. Uh, and I mean, if you look at the West right now, I, they're like I said, they're sitting at third, and they've been through all this already. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's even a stretch to say they could be the one seed. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, sure. But there's but the other problem with the West is there's probably like six teams that you could say could be the one seed. So That's there's there's a lot of stuff going on. It's so. the most confusing year in the West I think I've seen in a long time. Like I'm confused about watching Portland and and Jazz and the Jazz at the top like that. But they no, play each other yes. tonight. I want to see how that goes. Like, in your would, opinion, yeah. what's the best case scenario for the Grizz? Like, for the for the Jazz to lose or for the Portland to lose? Well, this is what this is what I'll say. Well, okay. I feel like Utah Utah is more real than Portland. I think. Yeah, I think so. just a little bit. Like, I think Portland got off to a good start, and I know that Dame has missed some time too, but. It's like when you watch that Utah team, I feel like they they are playing angry. Yeah. Like they heard they saw what everybody said. They're supposed to be looking for Victor Wimbanyama. None of y'all can play all of that. 
and Lori Marketing came out and said, no, like we're not, <laughs> we're not doing this. And I think like against the Bulls too, it was kind of that, like, I mean, that's the team that traded them too. So that was like a whole different kind of yeah. set of circumstances, but you could see it when I was watching a little bit of that game last night, where it's like, they just got like a different kind of look in their eyes to start the season. Yeah, they do. And, like, you can see the chip, like it's visible for every yeah. player. Like, yeah. And it's like every single person on the team. Because and then it's like looking back at and when you look back at their roster now, and it's like, well, if you had told me that Lori Marketing was gonna be averaging twenty four a game, then maybe I would have rethought what I thought about uh the Jazz coming into the season. But I mean, yeah. I, so I, I I think Utah I think Utah won the game. Since I said that they're probably gonna lose. Uh but mm-hmm. I, I think Utah might be a little bit better at this stage of the season. I think it's better for the Grizzlies if the trailblazers win for that reason like following your yeah. same logic like if they if they win then because i think if the jazz win then that gives them 12 wins instead of just uh 11 and right now grizz are at 10 so kind of play catch up um i'd rather the trailblazers go ahead and knock them down a peg but i agree the, the jazz are the better team and if i had to pick the winner i too would pick the jazz but I'm just hoping that that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the whole the whole thing about the West is I think that I don't know if like seeding is always important, but I still feel like for this team it's not necessarily the most important thing uh, because I, I'll always say this like everybody talks about home court advantage. They had home court advantage last year, and then they gave it up in game one in both games. So it's one of those things where it's like obviously you still want home court advantage. I'm not like saying they should just throw it away, but at the end of the day, if it's between getting home court advantage and making sure everybody is healthy. Like it's, you know what I mean? If there's, if some, if some guys have to take some time off, if guys got to miss games and stuff like this, where Bain is hurt early in the season and kind of stuff like that. Like I'm not super worried about the seeding this early in the year. Obviously going down the stretch is going to be more important. Every game is important, but at the end of the day, as long as they're not in the play in, and they're healthy at the end of the year, I think everything's going to be all right. I, I think it probably will be all right. My preference is is home court advantage because I'll say this. I agree yes, definitely. They lost, they lost home court, court last year, but I think they learned from that. Like, I really do. Like, I like the reason why I feel like home court advantage could go so far is because of that and because, as I mentioned, our younger players or maybe less experienced players like, like Hunchar, um, they play better at home. Definitely. And so, like, when you're talking about who are going to be the guys, because you're going to need a guy or two to, like, step up and provide depth, like Zaire did for the team last year. I think they would still mm-hmm. need one of those guys. Maybe Aldama will be the most likely, um, or maybe Conchar. Who knows? But um, one of those guys are going to need to, like, kind of pop and, and contribute regularly throughout the playoffs. And I think that's more likely to happen for those younger guys at home than it is if they were playing on the road. Our core, I think, would be fine regardless because I think that experience did give them, you know, either or. But when I look at the edges is where I go, that's where the home court advantage could be huge for them and be the difference, I think, maybe. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not anti home court advantage or anything. Sure, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I so, can't like, yeah, like, <laughs> like, yeah, obviously if they get home court advantage. That's the best case scenario. And I think there's, they're still in a good spot to possibly get it by the oh, end yeah. of the season based on what they're doing so far. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how the West shakes out just because yeah. there's so many teams. Cause like, if you look at the standings now, it's like, you got to think that Golden State's not going to not even make the play in. And stuff like that. So it's like you got to think they're going to turn around at some point. At some point. And then, 
you look at some of the teams like is Utah going to fall off? Is Portland going to fall off? Uh, but the, the number one thing is there's not there's not going to be one team that just runs away with it like the Suns last year. Yeah, like I think it's it's going to come down to the last week of the season to see who's going to get the one seed, who's going to have home court in the first round, and kind of stuff like that. Right. I think it's going to come down to the last week of the season. I think I really think this this is shaping up to be probably the most exciting NBA season in recent memory because there's not. You can look in the East with like the Bucks and the Celtics, and I think they kind of have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. But like in the West, it's there's a lot of teams that on any given night look have looked like the best team in the Western Conference. Yeah, and it's it's going to be very interesting to see kind of how that all shakes out. And I, I think this is going to be an exciting year, not just for the Grizzlies, but for the NBA as a whole. And I some agree. of these playoff matchups. Like yes. every every first round playoff matchup, no matter That's who it is, great. like you like you get the three seed, you still might be playing Luca in the first round. Yeah, right. Like it's 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 not going to be easy, and you That's might cool. get you might get the one seed and end up playing, playing the Clippers. Against, yeah, playing the Clippers <laughs> with healthy Kawhi and Paul George, yeah. or playing uh the Timberwolves who started slow and figured it out, and now they've got everything figured out on offense with the Rudy Gobert thing. So it's like there, there's a lot there's a lot of teams that it, there's not going to be a single easy playoff series in that first round for the Western Conference. Yeah. It might be a little bit different in the East, but at least for the West, every single first round playoff series, and I think every series of the playoffs, is probably going to go to six or seven games. Yeah. For sure, uh, and and what's, what I think I'm kind of I'm I'm nervous about, but I'm a little excited about for the Grizzlies is that their April is a gauntlet. If you know the Warriors' reputation holds, I'm pretty sure they play the Warriors like two or three times between March and April. There's like two or three matchups between the Warriors. Same thing with Dallas that they played Dallas a ton back to back, and we always know that that has been a tough matchup. But they're going to be playing playoff basketball like two months before playoff basketball, like a month before playoff basketball even begins, which yep. I think will help them in terms of like working out some of those kinks and really getting them ready in the right headspace. Um compared to last year where they did have the easier schedule. So I think it was a little bit harder for them to like get adjusted to the the difference in intensity with the when the playoffs kicked off, especially since they had the expectations that they kind of had going into it. Um I'm nervous because it's always, you know, like you never want to play or it's probably going to be an extremely motivated Warriors team at that point, extremely desperate Warriors team that that often. But um, I think the team will be better for it. So yeah, um, all in all, it's been it's been definitely some ups and downs for the team. But I'm I'm definitely excited for the future and and really enjoying the season of basketball. So um, I think that's it, Bryson. You can tell everybody um where to find you, and if you have got any upcoming projects, you know, feel free to let the people know, and we'll take us out. Yeah, for sure. First, uh, first and foremost, you can follow me on Twitter at Bryson Wright three. Uh, that's where you'll be able to find all my work. I always post everything on there. Uh, write for SB Nation Grizzlies and all of my podcasts. The Next Gen Podcast is on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can find that on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. It's on basically every platform at this point. Uh, but yeah, thank you for having me on. It was a great conversation. I'd love to come on again. Appreciate it. Um, be sure we, we my guy, uh, my guys Isaac and David aren't on, but be sure to follow my guy Isaac on Isaac underscore NBA. You can follow David at NBA D Wheel 21. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Candace H901 and be sure to follow our page at 
Ethos Grizzlies. We appreciate you guys giving us a listen. We always appreciate your your feedback and your support as we go through. Uh, the, the Grizzlies look to take on the Brooklyn Nets on Sunday night. We'll be excited to see that game and we'll hopefully have some post-game coverage for you. Um, that's it. All That's all we got from the newcom guys. We don't.